So our reading uh, this evening uh, is on page 1218 of the the Bibles in the uh, slot in front of you. And we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. I sound as though I'm booming, am I? What can I do to stop it? Just keep going, right. So 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 11 to 17. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honour the Emperor. Great, thanks Tom for reading that. Uh, do keep your Bibles open, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're just going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would use these words and speak to each one of us this evening. Lord, please show us what you are like, and how we should live in this world as a result of who you are and what you have done. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Great. Well, um, I want to start with a question this evening. Um, I wonder, do you think most people associate being a Christian with freedom? Do you think most people associate being a Christian with freedom? Um, I think that for most people, the thought of being a Christian has absolutely nothing at all to do with freedom. Most people imagine that Christians believe and and something about uh, restriction and uh, not freedom, that they come to a conclusion that that Christianity is is not liberating in the slightest, but rather it's a list of don'ts. Don't murder. Don't be greedy. Don't have fun. Don't use your brain. I wonder, when was the last time someone told you that Wow, you're a Christian. That must be so liberating. But what we see when we read the Bible is that it not only tells us that it's possible to experience an amazing, true freedom, but it also tells us how to live that out. And I thought we'd start by looking at three ways that any of us might be deceived into believing that we could find genuine freedom in. Finding freedom in something else than by following Jesus as our Saviour and Lord. And those three things that we might be deceived into thinking that, that give us freedom, so I'm just stuck around the guitar here, there we go. Those three things that we might think that we're deceived into thinking that, that offers us real freedom, and this passage shows us is our desires our acceptance by others, and in how we relate to politics. 
our desires, our acceptance by others, and how we relate to politics. And firstly, our desires, and why this isn't real freedom at all, this is false freedom. Now, it's worthwhile saying that desires themselves aren't necessarily a bad thing. Remember, God created each one of our bodies. And as a result, well, we crave things, don't we? We crave food when we're hungry. We crave company when we're lonely. We crave warmth when we're cold. But actually, the message that we hear time and time again in our culture is something that goes beyond that. It says it's that by fulfilling our deepest desires that we have, that we can truly be free. Free to be whoever we want to be. If you have a desire for something, well, unless it directly harms someone, if you have a desire for something, then go for it. Go for it, because that's how you'll find freedom. But is that really freedom? Is that really freedom? Or is it slavery? Look down with me in the Bibles at 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Peter is saying that actually much of what we desire is broken. You see, we live in a world where sin plays havoc with our desires. And as a result, we end up desiring the wrong things. And all of these desires, these, these sinful desires, as, as Peter calls them, they're actually, they're just like mirages. You're out in the desert and you think you see something. You think you see water ahead and you go to it, but there's nothing there. It's a mirage. These desires, they seem so genuine at first. They seem like such a good idea, such a good way of finding freedom, of fulfilling whatever desire we have. But it's only a matter of time before you see them for what they are. They are a poor image of what we are meant to experience. And as a result, well, you think you would learn your lesson. But experience tells us something different. You see, as a result, we keep on going back and back again to that mirage, looking for what it can never deliver us. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes those desires are obviously wrong. And sometimes they're less obvious. Sometimes it may just become an, an obsession with something. And Peter says that instead of giving us freedom, these things aim to destroy and wage war against our very souls. You see, the first myth busted is that freedom is not found in fulfilling our desires because our desires are broken. They're all over the place. But neither is it found in acceptance by others. Look down at verse 12. Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now I think it's really tempting to believe that if we are being affirmed by the people around us, whether that's in our community or, or family or friendship groups, whatever it is, if we are feeling affirmed in our lifestyle and in our choices, then we naturally assume that we must be experiencing freedom. 
But for the Christians in Peter's day, when he was writing this 2,000 years ago, they were experiencing the opposite. You see, they weren't experiencing affirmation by their community and those outside the church. Instead, they were suffering lies. People were spreading lies and telling all sorts of things about them and spreading this around. But does that mean that they weren't free? No. Peter reminds them in verse 16 that they are free people. Even if the people around them didn't recognize or accept them. You see, acceptance by others is no guarantee of freedom either. Just as it wasn't in the church that Peter is writing to. And lastly, freedom is not ultimately found in politics and the way that we relate to to authorities. Look at verses 13 and 14. Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now Peter is talking about the political world of his day. He's talking about the the emperor of the Roman Empire, the most important person at that time in the whole world. And he's also talking about the governors who exist to, to govern and keep law under him. And I think actually probably for most of us reading this, this has got to sound like one of, the, one of the stickiest bits of the whole Bible. It's certainly the most controversial part of this passage. I'm sure you've noticed that, that many people in our culture are deeply suspicious of authorities or of powers. Which is why, actually, I think many people decide to root for the underdog, don't they? You know, whether that's in, in elections or whether it's on X Factor, they, they like to support the person who, who seems to have less of a chance because they feel that they are somehow more genuine than those with the power or maybe with the natural talent. We want to, to rid the shackles of the powerful, don't we? We want to give power back to the people. That's, that's freedom, isn't it? Because if you are told to submit to the government and to people in power, well, actually, that sounds like the opposite of freedom. That doesn't sound like freedom at all. That sounds like oppression, not freedom, if we're told to submit to, to governments and authorities and people in power. That doesn't sound like freedom, that sounds like oppression. And actually that would be true unless there was a power or authority above them. One to which they were accountable to. Then it begins to make sense what Peter is saying here. Because all of a sudden, submitting to these authorities, even if it's the emperor or the emperor of our day, seems that something that that could almost make sense because they exist under an infinitely greater authority, under an infinitely greater power. So what does true freedom look like? Well, it isn't found in fulfilling our desires. It isn't found in being accepted by others, even those who, who maybe mean most to us. And it isn't found in trying to rid the shackles of political authority. True freedom is not found in any one of those three in three things. And the question is, where is true freedom found? What does true freedom living look like? Well, Peter says it starts with an understanding of 
who we are. Of who we are. And we are foreigners. We are foreigners. Look down at verse 11 again. Peter says, dear friends, or more literally, my beloved brothers and sisters, I urge you, I beg of you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Now, Peter is about to get practical and encourage these Christians about how they should live out this kind of freedom in their life. And it starts with them understanding who they are. He wants them to understand that that they do not belong in this world. They do not belong in this world because they have a new identity in Jesus Christ. They have traded nationalities. They are outsiders in a foreign land. They are like refugees passing through on their way to their true home. And why is this important? Well, it's important because foreigners and exiles don't just blend into their surroundings. Foreigners and exiles live distinctively different lives. You can look at them and see that there there is something different about them in the way that they speak, in the way that they act, that their motivations and the whole way they see the world is different. And so the same is true, but even more so with Christians, or at least it should be. If you are a Christian, then, then this world... This world that we live in, in the way that it is, is not your first home. It is not your first home. Your passport, if you were to get it out, where it says country of origin, would now say kingdom of God. You have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus and you no longer live in this world as you once did. And that's why, which Peter says, it's no surprise that we should be tempted to desire the things of this world. The things that we once desired before we were in Christ. We still are tempted to desire these things. He says, flee from them. But it's also no surprise that we get treated differently too. We get treated differently by by the pagans, or or Peter meaning here, the non-Christians around us. And if you look at the end of verse 11, where Peter is telling his dearly beloved brothers and sisters to flee. Remember who you are. Remember you are a foreigner. You are an exile in another land. So when these temptations come from the world, flee. Run away from desiring any of those things that the world says will give you freedom because they won't whether that's desire for money or for status or for sex or for popularity, those things will not free you at all. In fact, they're waging war against your very souls. They aim to destroy you, have nothing to do with them. When you see them coming, run away from them like you would run away from a tidal wave. And secondly, because you are a foreigner in this world, Don't be surprised when people accuse you of doing wrong. In some Muslim countries around the world where where Sharia law exists in its most uh, vehement form, I guess, Christians can be sent to jail on any kind of made-up charge at all, it seems. Particularly, actually, if they have converted out of Islam. 
And famously, a few years ago, and actually ongoing, the case of a woman called Asia Bibi in Pakistan, who is still imprisoned. She still faces the death penalty, despite 400,000 um, signings on a petition for her to be freed because of some made-up crimes about blasphemy against Muhammad. We shouldn't be surprised that that happens in the world. You see, Aisha Bibi is a foreigner. She is an exile in this world. But also, if we bring this closer to home, that may seem very distant, very detached to many of us, but if we bring it closer to home, don't be surprised when it hits us this week either. When people tease us, or when people unfriend you on Facebook, don't act surprised. The Bible says it will happen. Now, right now, you're probably thinking, Tim, this doesn't sound much like true freedom living. Where's the freedom? This almost sounds miserable. Well, the question is, what is worthwhile about living my life like this? What is the motivation for Asia Bibi to, to not deny the gospel but to keep on going? Why is this good? Well, there's lots of reasons. And, and firstly, as we've seen in verse 11, it's good because it means that you are fleeing from the desires that would do you harm. That is a good reason to live this out. But there's one other reason as well. Let me read verse 12 again. Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, not only is living a good life, this true freedom of a Christian, not only is that good for our soul, but it's also good for the souls of others. Christians are called to be the kind of people who act like Jesus Christ in their neighbourhoods and in their workplaces and in their homes and on their own. When they are accused of lies, they don't try and get even. Instead, they turn the other cheek. When they get insulted, they respond with love. When they're badly treated, or people say nasty lies behind their back, what do they dish back? Kindness, forgiveness, grace. And if you find that hard... Well, you're in good company. But look what the outcome may be. Peter says that though these people accuse you of all kinds of things, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. What Peter is saying here is that if you choose not to get even or to get back at people, but rather you choose to show them love when they treat you badly, that may well lead to them coming to faith, for them being saved for eternity. It may have the effect of them joining you in heaven for eternity, worshipping the Lord. And all because you chose not to get back, not to get back at them, but rather to show love and forgiveness. But actually for that to happen, they've got to know what we believe. People have got to know what we believe. They must have some indication that we are Christians and that we go to church This kind of true freedom living is good for us. But as Peter says here, it's also got to be good news for others too. 
If we want to experience true freedom living, we have to start with an understanding of who we are. We have to start with understanding who we are in Christ. We are foreigners and exiles in this world. And we must then understand that it's good for others and ourselves. It makes sense. It is good. And last of all, Peter shows us how can we do this. We'll look at verse 13. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors. And again, at the end of verse 17, he picks up this idea. He says, honor the emperor. You see, Christians, I wonder if you ever thought about this. Christians have a unique relationship to authorities. And once you get this, this is so liberating. You see, Christians are not threatened by authorities in the same way that non-Christians may be. Now, I want you to think about what Peter is saying here. Peter says that Christians should submit to and honour the emperor. Now, who is the emperor? Well, when Peter was writing this, he was most likely talking about the Roman emperor Nero. Now, Nero was not an easy person for a Christian to submit to. He wasn't a nice, fluffy, cuddly emperor. Quite the opposite. Nero believed himself actually to be a god. He believed himself to be a god. And anyone who got in his way or caused him trouble would be thrown into jail or worse, killed, perhaps even crucified. But what Peter is saying here is as far as it does not become a sin, so you are not to worship him, or go against the teaching of scripture, as far as it does not become sin, you should submit to him as the emperor. Not because he is a god in any way, that is not true, but you are free to submit to him in legal matters because there is a god above him. There is a god who is sovereign, who reigns above the emperor. And for Christians, this submission, even to the emperor, doesn't feel like slavery. Even though it may sound like it, it doesn't feel like slavery because you know that the power doesn't stop with Nero. Think about where else we see this in the scripture. How about Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate? Jesus has been brought, he's been brought through the trial with Herod. He's then been taken to Pontius Pilate and he's being sort of grilled as to, as to why he's there, what he's done. And in that conversation, only one of those men truly has the authority. Now, Pilate, he's been set up by the emperor. He thinks it's him. He certainly looks as if he's dressed as if the authority lies with him. But we know that's not true, don't we? Jesus says in John chapter 19, verse 11, to Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. You see, every authority in the world ultimately exists under God's authority. Whether they like it or not, whether they realize it or not, whether they believe in God or not, They exist under God's authority. So we don't actually need to fear submitting to them. Because on the day of judgment, they will be answerable. They will be answerable to God alone. 
And I'm sure just like it is today, it must have seemed very hard to do that kind of submission at the time. It can't have been easy. But we've got to think about how God works in history. And I wonder if Peter could have imagined, as one writer puts it, there would come a day when men would name their dogs Nero and their sons Peter and Paul. Well, how can we do this? Well, firstly, by honouring the authorities that he has put in place. And secondly, we do this, look at verse 15, because it is God's will. Peter says, for it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now, it's God's will for your life that by living in this good way, you should shut up those people who are spreading lies about you. They would realise by your actions that their lies are nothing more. When you were dropped from the circle of friends you once had because they don't actually like your newfound faith, or perhaps they find it offensive, or maybe you are told by your family that they don't want your hateful or ignorant beliefs in their home, don't give up doing good. When that kind of stuff happens, don't give up doing good. Don't stop loving. Rather look what Peter says in verse 16. He says, live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. You see, don't believe that just because you're a Christian, you can act any way you want. That's what this whole passage is about. There is a right way to live out the true freedom we have in Christ. We can't just act any way that we want. We need to remember what Jesus has done for each one of us and let that be our motivation to be his slave, to be God's slave. Because it's only by being a slave to God that we will experience true freedom. Not in fulfilling our desires, not in acceptance by our community, not in trying to free ourselves from the shackles of of politics or authority figures. Only by being God's slave will we ever experience true freedom living. Because actually everyone's a slave to something. The choice is, will it be God or will it be something else? And as Peter finishes, and this should encourage us and, and fire us up to live out this true freedom living, He says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. That's us. Fear God, not man. And yes, because God is ultimately in control, honour the emperor too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we don't need to look to desires or anything else to experience freedom but we can come to you in humility and and ask Lord because of what you have done that you would help us to to live out this, this true freedom, this freedom that doesn't end that lasts forever, bought for us by Jesus' blood Father help us to live that out in the way that we relate to authorities in the way that we we flee sinful desires. Father, help our motivation to be, yes, for the good of our souls, 
but also for the good of the souls of the people that you have placed around us. Lord, please use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.